Then Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him to the south. Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold. And he went out on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar which he had made there at first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Lot also, who went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. Now the land was not able to support them, that, that they might dwell together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. The Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. So Abram said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me, and between my husband and your husband, for we are brethren. Is not the whole land before you? Please, separ please separate from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right, or if you take the right, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like, like the land of Egypt, <coughs> as you go towards Jordan. Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent even as, even as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful in Alright, so Abram and Lot are together. Abraham is uh, very rich. Lot has lots of flocks and herds as well. Doesn't really mean for that to come out as a punt, but it often does when you're dealing with Lot. And uh, what's the result of Abram and Lot being so richly blessed and prospered? Can't dwell in the why not? They have so much. Yeah, not enough pasture ground for the flocks and herds. And their herdsmen are fighting each other, quarreling about this. Because there are just too many, they've been, they've been blessed with so many animals, they just really can't stay together. There's not enough grazing ground. And, and it's causing Abram's servants and Lot's servants to fight over what there was. And there's some other people dwelling in the land as well. We have to split it with them also. So what are they going to do about this? Well, what does Abram do? Suggests that they separate. And let's, let's Lot choose which land he wants. Exactly. That's, uh, well, what do you think about that in, in Abram? What would you say that shows you about Abram? He overcame some of his selfishness. <laughs> yeah, wasn't selfish with Lot. Very unselfish, uh, self-denying, but generous. You know, you take whatever part you want to take, I'll go the opposite direction. He's sort of a peacemaker. It's a good way to solve the dispute. Lot? Look all around. You go whatever way you want. I'll go the other way. So, I mean, he's just really bending over backwards to give the best possible deal to Lot. 
<clears throat> so what does Lot do? He picks the side with the well water and all the good stuff in it. Yeah. He uh, looked at all the valley of the Jordan. So well watered everywhere. That's what he chose for himself. Do you see some problems with Lot's choice? The best for himself. Selfish! <laughs> yeah! I mean, <laughs> why do we always think that we should do everything to favor ourselves? That we always should come out on top? You know, if we get the choice, what do we take? The best for us. The rush in the kitchen, got one piece of pecan pile, out, that's for me. <laughs> you know, whatever, that's kind of a small scale thing. But but we tend to always want what, what we think is going to be best for ourselves. Instead of saying, hey, this is better, you take this. What else do you see in Lot? selfish. He's short-sighted. Yes. He's thinking about the well-watered land. He likes the, the here and now, the material. You know, this will be good for my flocks and herds. Great pasture ground. He's only thinking about <laughs> Notice, well, what else do you see? one more obvious flaw in his thinking. Yeah. He uh, is very reckless. You know, he's not thinking about uh, what's going to be best spiritually for him and his family. How many times do people make moves like that? You know, it's like, oh man, it's wonderful climate. You know, great schools. The job I can get there, the money I'll make, you know, or whatever. Are those good reasons to decide to go somewhere? Many, many years ago, in the church I was at, there was a boy who was actually a decent kid, pretty good, pretty helpful. And he was a really good wrestler. And, well, there was a school up in Michigan that offered him a wrestling scholarship. Of course, that's where he went. As far as I know, he decided to do that without even asking the question. There were any churches around there. And promptly fell away because there weren't. He's never come back to the Lord since, as far as I know. You know, we we, it doesn't matter about all the other advantages. If it's not where the Lord would want us to be because of spiritual considerations, we shouldn't go there. I'll, I'll, I'll throw one more. This is, uh, uh, from time to time, I'll probably be using a Brazil story or two. Uh, I like to tell them. Um, there was something very encouraging this time in Brazil, in general, but I'll relate a specific. In general, there were more people who traveled to more of the places where I was 
and especially for long weekends where you had people from several different places in some cases that came to join in the studies. It was very helpful, very encouraging. But the first place where I went was Porto Alegre and there were actually eight people who came from one, two, three, four, five, I think, yeah, five different places in Brazil to uh, to join us for those studies. It was really cool. Um, but one of the couples in Porto Alegre already, it's a long story I'll abbreviate, they came to the church there maybe a couple years ago, and then they got their feelings hurt after a while, some stupid stuff, and quit, and they had come back a few months ago. So I got to see them again, very encouraging, uh, kind of an unusual couple. Uh, she, uh, they're, she, they're probably 40s, maybe, maybe close to 50. She uh, was a communist, absolutely abhorred the U.S. and anything associated with the U.S. She was, I believe she was a professor of sociology in the university. And she got cancer. And that was, it was bad. But she survived. And she had a whole change of heart after that. And one thing led to another. She was converted in a group that wasn't totally following the Bible and then learned the truth more perfectly. And um, so they, they were, I'm so glad they're back. I mean, I think with a good attitude, they made confessions, apparently, both of them uh, before the church, voluntarily wanting to make things right and realizing that they just had the wrong attitude. And so they're really, they're an interesting couple. They got a 13-year-old son, just one, one child. And... Uh, so they were in the studies in Porto Alegre that first weekend for where, where I went the first uh, place. Tuesday was a holiday, so we did Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, studies from 2 to 8, and the book of Revelation, covered the book of Revelation in four days. Well, one of the guys that was there in those studies was Guilherme from Curitiba. And in Curitiba, there's just two Christians. Guilherme, who's 23 or so, and his girlfriend, Gabriela, who's 19. And so one of the probably one of the strongest couples I know in Brazil, a young couple, but very strong, in Porto Alegre, Marcos Fernanda. They've been flying up to Curitiba fairly often, flying uh, Guilherme down there to, and just continuing to have contact with him, trying to help him. So they had already planned, the last place I was at was Curitiba, so it was going to be three weekends later, and they were going to fly up uh, for that, probably not even an hour flight quite. Well, when I got to Curitiba, I knew Marcos Fernanda's flight was about 45 minutes early earlier than mine, so they were going to wait in the airport for me on Saturday morning. When I got there, it wasn't just Marcus Fernanda. It was Roberto and Moema and Kelji, that couple and their 13-year-old son. And she told me, she said, you know, we got to thinking, we really like to travel, and we do a lot of traveling, and, you know, kind of have a budget for, for traveling and so forth. And, but after, after all the brethren had been there and encouraged us so much in those studies, we got to thinking, well, well, what better thing to do than to travel to encourage people in the Lord? So she said she'd gotten the tickets online four or five days before. She said, I, she's a very emotional person. She said, I've been so excited. I haven't been able to sleep <laughs> since I bought the tickets. But she's just so excited, so glad to be there, to join in the studies, to encourage Guilherme and Gabriela and others who came to those studies, some pretty good non-Christian prospects, I think. And uh, she said, "That's what she said. From here on out, that's what we're doing. We're just going to travel to to help people, encourage people." She's been about six, seven years ago. She'd gone with Kelji to Paris, and you know, different things like that. But she was more excited about this trip. They didn't do anything touristy. It was just being there to help the brethren.
And uh, isn't that the way we ought to think about that? You know, why is it that on things like traveling and moving and things like that, where you're going to go to college, etc., seems like the Lord, you don't even give him any thought. That's not a consideration. You know, for a long time, and this would be something worth thinking about, for a long time in Brazil, one of the things that has actually spread the gospel in some places is that when people would travel, say maybe going back to visit relatives in some other part of Brazil, they would often do two things. They would take flyers and pass them out, advertising correspondence courses and things like that. And they would get from Dennis a list of contacts in the computer that were receiving correspondence courses. And some of them, if they were going to spend a week with relatives somewhere, they'd look up some of those people and go and visit them and talk to them about the studies and so forth and try to teach them. That's, there's several brethren who've done that for many years. Again, thinking about the Lord in daily decisions. That's Noah London. He thought about the well-watered pastures. He didn't think about how wicked they were. Comments? couple other, f yeah, Cass. Um, I was just going to say that I, I really like what Abraham did with offering Lot, the man, um, or offering him the choice to pick because, you know, you could you always picture some people, like little kids, like, I want that side, no, I want this side, no, I want that side, over food or whatever, you know. Um, so, and I know for me, sometimes it's hard to do, it's to say, you know, you, you, you can pick, you know, you, you can pick. And because, you know, almost 90% of the time, they'll say, you know, I want the good side, you know. But uh, actually, it's kind of surprising because sometimes when you do say, all right, you can pick, they're so happy about your, you know, your generosity, that they'll give you the good side. Mm -hmm. Isn't that what we all ought to want? Mm -hmm. To see the other blessed before us. That's a challenge, but isn't that the way we ought to think about things? I would rather see my brother have the better whatever. There's a couple other flaws in Lot that maybe are not as obvious, but they fit right along. I see this as semi-prideful. I mean, this is his uncle, Abraham. I'm assuming Abraham was the leader and was older. The younger should have submitted to the elder. I think Lot should have said, no, you're, you're the elder one. You're my uncle. You choose. I think it's a matter of respect, almost. The other thing is, look at verse 10. Lot lifted up his eyes and, and saw. You remember sometimes in Genesis where seeing leads to sin? <laughs> you know, who saw? Eve. Who else saw? Sons of God saw the daughters of men in Genesis chapter 6. Controlled by what we see. Controlled by our desire. We should walk by faith and not by sight. But they're controlled by their, what they see by their desires. In this case, Lot was. And what a terrible choice it was. He chose for himself all the valley of Jordan. And he journeyed eastward 
Remember, journeying eastward was not normally a good thing in the book of Genesis. You know, Adam and Eve left toward the east, and uh, Cain went to the east, and the people of Tower of Babel migrated east, and pretty much east is the movement away from God. And uh, so, you know, he went down there, and he moved his tent as far as Sodom, and it says just one thing. Now, the men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly and sinners against the Lord. That's a kind of an ominous thing. He thought he was living in paradise, but he was about to be plunged into hell. You know, wow. Um, and, do you know which two groups are the descendants of Lot? And where did they end up residing? Not too far from this area where Lot had been with Sodom and Gomorrah. Kind of in that general region. Alright, comments and questions on this story. You would assume that Lot was also aware of God's communication to Abraham. And, you know, go to this land, and he's tagging along, yet takes the pick of, of the land, of that land that <laughs> you know, it's sort of another, I guess, similar thing. But it'd be like, no, God told you to come here, so you take what was yours. Good point. And, you know the way it looks to me like in verse 12? Lot moved out of Canaan. You know, Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled in the cities of the valley, moved his tents as far as Sodom. I'm not sure God even counted this region as being Canaan. So Lot almost moved out of the area of promise, the promised land. Probably not a smart thing to do either. I don't think Lot cared about any of that. There's lots of grass for my, you know, animals. You know, I'll be rich. But you know those short-sighted decisions usually don't end up, you know, working out very well in the long run. And uh, how rich was Lot uh, a little later on? <laughs> He really lost a lot. Well, you know, too, a lot of times you'll hear people use Abraham as an example of a, of a person who can, who can be rich and wealthy and pleasing to God. But you see where having a lot was, you know, what drove the decision in the first place. You know, if they hadn't had so much, they wouldn't have had to have separated. And Lot was choosing in favor of his possessions. Mm -hmm. You know, it's technically true that possessions aren't sinful in and of themselves, but how many times are they a stumbling block? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, people get ensnared by them. It's, it's dangerous to have much. That's pro I, I don't think I've ever heard anybody use Abraham as an example like that and then acknowledge Lot as yes, well. Yes, yes. We, we want to come up with a uh, what ends up being a fairly short list of prosperous people who were spiritual and faithful and we don't think about all yeah. the others. Uh, we, we always choose to be Abraham. Yeah, that's right. Lot. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah, kind of selective, uh, you know, uh, association. Know. Yeah. <laughs> we want to 
be like. Selective sampling, I guess. Mm-hmm. All right, other thoughts? Well, how about 14 to 18? The Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, Now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land which you see, I will give it to you and to your descendants forever. I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered. Arise, walk about the land through its length and breadth, for I will give it to you. Then Abram moved his tent and came and dwelt by the oaks of Mamre, which are in Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. Well, look at verse 10. Lot lifted up his eyes and saw. Look at verse 14. God says to Abram, now lift up your eyes and look. And where is Abram supposed to look? Everywhere. And what does God say as he looks in every single direction? I'll give it all to you. Lot chose for himself, verse 11, and ended up losing it all. Abram generously gave up all, and he ends up receiving everything. Isn't that ironic? And uh, so this is, again, the promise that his descendants would be as many as the dust of the earth, and he'd receive this land, and he lives in this tent and builds an altar. So that's uh, that's this part of the story of Abraham. Uh, Abram, still. Comments and questions? That reminds me too of Solomon where he didn't ask for wealth and fame and all of that, but yet God gave it to him regardless. You can tell a lot about a person's heart and character by what they really want. You know? This guy who just chopped the bit to get the best land it tells you something about what his heart's set on. And, you know, what do we dream about the most? What do we long for the most? What do we have our hand waving high in the air for the most? You know, I mean, wow. Just so, you know, the same thing that happened to Sodom and Gomorrah ultimately will happen to everything we have here. It's all going to be burned up. Why are we so, you know, eager for this stuff? Other thoughts? Almost sounds like when it mentions after Lot had left, as if that was a that was holding him back almost. You know, almost the idea that he really wasn't supposed to be there anyway, or it wasn't part of this. He had to that idea. If you... He ends up pretty much excluding himself, and that's exactly what the commentators who say that, that's part of their argument. <laughs> uh, maybe there's something to that. I'm not inclined to think so yet, but... All right, very good. Well, we can uh, stop here for tonight. And uh, I think my plan is to come next week and then skip two, which will be the Thursday right before Christmas and the Thursday right before New Year's. Well, we'll be here. You can still come. Yeah, the Thursday before New Year's would not be out of the question, but I figure there's enough stuff going on. It's probably just as well to uh, skip that one. I imagine I'll be recovering from the year-end studies. <laughs> so we'll do next week and then skip to. Hey, what was your what was your date conclusion? 2166. 2166. Okay. The date of the birth of Abraham. You know, not that that's... Birth of Abraham. Right, birth of Abraham. Okay.
all said and done, you know, I've just kind of gotten out of the habit, you know, and I've gotten old enough with it. It's fine. I enjoy